0: right today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Near in for Stephen Henderson today. A little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking a little more about that coronavirus scare and how it is already affecting the local economy here in Southeast Michigan. We don't have any confirmed cases here in Michigan yet, but... You know, global companies mean global supply chains, and so that is already affecting us here in Michigan. You don't want to miss that conversation, so stay tuned. We will get to that a little bit later in the hour. But first, this past weekend, we saw politicians commemorating Bloody Sunday in Selma and Joe Biden win his first Democratic primary of the 2020 race. And according to many, it was the first real opportunity to see who African American voters are standing with. We're going to focus today on how various candidates are trying to appeal to African American voters and how the black middle class specifically is responding. My first guest wrote about this in a recent Brookings piece. Andre Perry is a fellow in the Metropolitan Policy Program at Brookings and author of the forthcoming book, Know Your Price Valuing Black Lives and Property in America's Black Cities. Andre, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, and wonderful piece. Uh, one, I wanted to pull out something that you wrote that really summed up sort of what you had to say. Uh, you said, on today's political stage, only the white middle class is receiving policymakers' dedicated attention. This, in turn, furthers the racial biases that have kept the black middle class from achieving the American dream. Um, Andre, I'm curious, first of all, could you talk a little bit about that dynamic? Um, this is not just about this this race. This is about the way that we are um, shaping policy, generally speaking, here in America.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Um, as we know, whenever you hear politicians, particularly those running for president, um, uh, stump um, in various communities. You will hear the middle class uttered over and over and over again. Um, it, it, it the 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 middle class um, for many uh, represents the American dream. So if you um, have the ability to own a home, um, have savings, you may own a business. Um, um, typically, you're um, you're in the middle class, you, you you have a a certain level of education, um, you are um, um, attuned to sort of the the cultural and political movements and, and, and power makers. So certainly those who are in the middle class deserve attention. They pay, we pay a, a significant amount of t- uh, taxes that go into the various programs that the, the government runs. Um, but um, when you don't talk about what distinguishes black people from white people in that conception of the middle class, you're really missing on what black people need in order to reach the America, American dream. Um, first and foremost, when we, uh, we when we talk about the middle class, a lot of folks will limit it to income. Um, but as we know, the wealth gap, meaning wealth meaning assets minus debt, um, there's a significant difference between white and black Americans. So um, whites on average, the median um, um, amount of wealth of white Americans is about $170,000, $171,000. And that's compared to $17,000 for black Americans. Right. So, just a tenth of that. A tenth. And so when we're talking about the middle class and you're not talking about wealth creation and wealth divide, then you're really not speaking to black people. Um, in, in addition, um, unemployment rates and employment rates differ um, between those in the in the the black um, middle income area and those in um, of whites, and so um, the more you just say middle class, middle class, middle class, without talking about criminal justice, employment, wealth, and other um, issues that are germane to. Um, wealth um, development in the in the black community, or the lack thereof, um, then you're really only speaking to 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 white middle income earners.
0: And, and you know, when it comes to this uh, presidential race, you know, having part of my job is having to pay a lot of attention to it. On right. stage, you hear a lot of candidates talking uh, specifically about people of color, about black and brown people. But the way that they talk about it is of uh, people of color as victims uh, or assume that they're in poverty. Uh, and w- I'm curious what you think. Uh-huh. What is the effect of that uh, in this larger conversation about persisting narratives and stereotypes about certain groups of Americans?
1: Well, there's this narrative that is um, that runs through the United States culture is that the state of black cities and places like Detroit are a direct result of the individual behaviors and choices of its residents. Um, and, 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 and when you have that narrative, certainly it's you you can see why people look at black people um in detroit as as problems for detroit and so you and you and this really came through when president trump then candidate trump the nominee he was stumping in michigan i think it was diamond dale and he and he and, the, and he used that rhetoric of what do you have to lose mm-hmm. black america and this is diamond dale's probably n- 90 minutes um, away from Detroit. Um, so what do you have to lose, Black America? Well, the reality is, um, from my research and just in housing, um, Black um, a, 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 a black majority neighborhoods represent about $609 um, billion dollars worth of assets and just in housing alone. Um, the businesses that are in, um, in, in, in Black cities and, and, and Black neighborhoods are, are profitable. Um, there's this notion that everything is broken. Well, the assets are strong in black um, communities, cities, and neighborhoods, but their assets are devalued. You know, one of my studies that I, I looked at housing prices, and I compared those ho- home prices in in places where the share of the black uh, population was greater per- greater than 50 percent, and I compared those to to white neighborhoods where the share of the black population is one percent. Um, and, and I controlled for all those things that people say are the reason for lower prices. I controlled for education and crime and, and walkability and all those fancy Zillow metrics. And, and, and what we found pretty much astounds that um, homes in black neighborhoods, simply because of the concentration of blackness around it, are devalued by 23%, about 48000 per home, about $156 billion in lost equity. Mm. Um, a- across the country,
0: you said one hundred and fifty-six billion. One hundred
1: and fifty-six billion. Wow. Of just this lost, um, uh, essentially equity, and so when we when we're talking about the black middle class, we should not see it as a a place that or uh, places or a, a group of people that don't have things or not working towards things. No, there is. Devaluation upon those assets that require a policy response. Um, we do need um, uh, micro loans given to, give to um, um, folks owning homes in black neighborhoods so they can fix up the facade. Because that 156 billion in lost um, um, equity it should have gone to to fix up your home, to to start a business, to um to move to another neighborhood for municipalities to f- um to, to fund schools and to fix roads all of this loss in in revenue um requires a, a a a federal and state federal state and local response to restore value that is lost so when we're talking black communities and you're listening to um presidential candidates listen to see here if they have a a, um, a business um, ex- acceleration um, program. Listen to, to hear if they're talking about increasing home ownership in, in the black community. Listen to um, for their, if they're mentioning empl- um, um, remedies for employment discrimination. These are the kind of, uh, this is the kind of rhetoric you need to hear when you're talking about the, the black middle class that is different from when you're talking about the middle class in general?
0: Mm. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer. And for Stephen Henderson today, I'm speaking with Andre Perry. He's a fellow in the Metropolitan Policy Program at Brookings. He's a scholar in residence at American University and the author of the forthcoming book, Know Your Price, Valuing Black Lives and Property in America's Black Cities. And we are talking about the black middle class and how candidates and policymakers in general are talking about them or not talking about this group of Americans uh, and and how important that is. Uh, the number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. I uh, really want to hear from you um, about how you're hearing the candidates talk about race, the things that they are saying, the things that they aren't saying. Uh, if you are an African-American voter, who, do you, who are you voting for? Why? Is there a particular candidate you feel has your best interests in mind? Are you... Um, When you hear the candidates appealing to the so-called middle class, do you feel like you're being included in that appeal? Again, the number on the lines is 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag DetroitToday on Twitter and leave your comments there. Uh, So, Andre Perry, uh, you were talking about what to listen for when we're hearing candidates speak about this. Uh, Obviously, we are one day away from Super Tuesday. We just had South Carolina, the primary, uh, you know, just happened. over the weekend. I'm curious, um, and and of course, those narratives about how candidates are talking about race are especially sort of um, uh, getting front and center now. What are you hearing? Have you heard any candidates really touch on the issues that you think are important? Um, or is that a total vacuum at this point?
1: Well, you know, I actually liked a lot of the policy proposals being put forth by many of the candidates, um, one of which dropped out yesterday, mm. Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete, yeah. Um, with his um, Frederick Douglass plan. It was a, a very robust, well thought out plan. Um, in my opinion, to address um, some of the things that I talk about, some of the, the home ownership um, disparities and, 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 and um, job uh, business owning disparities. Um, and, and, and he used the sort of symbols of, uh, of black symbols, uh, Frederick Douglass is the, the historic abolitionist, um, and he titled his, his plan that, that um, Mayor Bloomberg has his Greenwood initiative, and that's a nod um, to Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. People are now becoming familiar with the story of how um, a, um, Klan and um, white supremacists raised a town, destroyed a town that was doing well economically. Um, um, Kamala Harris, when she was in the race, she stumped at Howard University, her alma mater, the historical, historically black um, college and university. Um, Joe Biden um, essentially bet on black by um, uh, standing up in South Carolina, the, 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 first, the first primary state with a significant black population. And so people recognize that they, they have to court um, black voters um, in, in a robust way. And in, in, in particularly in the primary, if you don't um, uh, catch the pulse of black America in the primaries, it's very uh, difficult uh, for the candidate to, to win in a national. Um, and so what I'm trying to see if, if, if Bernie can somehow make greater inroads to the black community, because the way it's looking now, if Biden continues to um, win over the the um, black black voters, then it's going to be hard for Bloomberg to 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 stay in. It's going to be hard for um, Klubachar to, to stay in. It's going to be hard for any of the other candidates to stay in. Um, and so then it becomes a, a race between um bernie Bernie and biden and and i haven't seen robust policy um directed towards black america from biden um remember that that the democrats largely lost because they did not have in in 2016 i should say um they they lost primarily because they did not have a slate of policies that were attractive um that was attracted to um, the 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 uh, black electorate and so i I'm, I, I want to see more plans for black America coming out of biden's camp and and, and certainly i I, I want it uh, out of um, Sanders camp, but um, that's what I'm looking for moving forward how what do they have on paper that's um, de- designed specifically? For black Americans.
0: It's interesting the candidates that you mentioned there, especially at the beginning, uh, the, especially ones that have any executive experience uh, and and real experience on these issues. Um, you know, Mayor Pete, um, Mayor Bloomberg, and uh, Senator Biden, um, and even um, Senator uh, Harris, who you also mentioned there, who's no longer in the race, all have sort of uh, mixed um, records on race. They've been criticized uh, for a number of things. When you when you talk about Pete Buttigieg. You you know, you, you mentioned his his very specific policy addressing these issues. He couldn't really get uh, more than he was polling at zero with uh, with African-American voters throughout pretty much the entire process here. And, and, you know, Vice President Biden, who you said doesn't have much of a plan or he haven't seen a very specific plan here, uh, is, is doing well. How do you sort of explain that?
1: Yeah. You know, one thing candidates can't overcome it, when it, now, in this environment, is their record. Um, there, you know, black Americans know what you've done in the past and what you have not done. And so, in that regard, regard Mayor Pete struggled because people remember and it's stuck in their head that he fired the black police chief um, in South Bend. And, and, um, and, and in it, it during a time when we're trying to beef up the the black representation in in, in significant positions in criminal justice um, issues, largely because we feel that um, black folk will um, respond differently um, to black communities, and that's not necessarily. Um, uh, a guarantee but th- that's the, the 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 sentiment going on in the, in the country mm-hmm. um mike bloomberg um uh, uh, the stop and frisk issues if you're a black mm-hmm. man in uh, particularly in new york you know that stop and frisk destroyed many people's lives and so um your record matters and so if you're a prosecutor you know that's just not the 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 kind of, of something you want in your resume going into um talking to black america uh, be, simply because the 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 cards were stacked against um black americans in terms of um arrests and 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 um people incarcerated sure. um we're certainly overrepresented in that regard yeah and so um Yeah, your record matters, and if you put forth a proposal, it won't cover your record. It Mm -hmm. just will not.
0: Again, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. I want to go to Barbara in Detroit. Barbara, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thank you very much. What do you have to say? uh, Sorry? Uh, Go ahead, Barbara. My question is one uh, directed to... Making a distinction between middle class and middle income mm. and
2: as it relates to to wealth i I think that uh culturally and academically
1: there's a distinction between middle class and middle income, and I'm intrigued to hear Mr. Perry comment on that i have I've read his study I haven't read his book um but I was um very intrigued to know why. He did not make that kind of a, a, a clear distinction. I've heard him mention it in your discussion this morning, but um, I'd like to hear his comment on that. Yeah,
0: Barbara, I really appreciate that. And Andre, yeah, we did discuss that a little bit at the top here, but respond to what Barbara's saying.
1: Yeah, you know, when you're talking about the middle class, m- most people in their head have image uh, have an image of the Cosby Show. They, they see the highly educated, professional um, class, um, they see the black art the on the wall they 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 see the um, they, they they understand that people are earning uh, money um, but but all the cultural the educational the income all that's included in what we think of as the middle class. but when people speak in in terms of on on the stump they don't they're not very clear about. All those other things, and so what they do is is limit the conversation to one of about income, and they'll point to um, those between the but twenty percent to eighty um, uh, percent in in the country in terms of the the earners, and so um, for, for so you're right, uh, uh, you know, being middle class encompasses lo- a lot more than just income. It encompasses education, culture, um, and, 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 and other things. And so those matter. And there is a black middle class. But w- what is different is that blacks do not hold the wealth that whites have. And so that wealth, um, to ignore that um, wealth difference, that was created by federal policy. So remember, um, between there's been a lot of discussion of, of, of redlining and its impact on wealth development. But, you know, not only did we have redlining, we have legal segregation. We had um, before that certainly um, slavery and a, and a number of barriers that limited black wealth creation. And so that in itself is, um, separates the black middle class from the white middle class, but in general, when we're talking middle class, we're 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 talking about education, we're talking about culture, we're talking about um, um, access to um, policymakers, and, um, and and so and, and, and certainly income, all of those things are involved when we we think of the middle
0: class. Yeah. Andre Perry, fellow in the Metropolitan Policy Program at Brookings, scholar-in-residence at American University, and author of the forthcoming book, Know Your Price, Valuing Black Lives and Property in America's Black Cities. Thank you so much for joining us here on Detroit Today.
1: Hey, you're welcome.
0: Coming up, we'll continue talking about African-American voters here in Michigan and across the country. And we'll do that with two Detroiters who have spent a lot of time thinking about this very subject. 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. We're talking about black voters here in Michigan and across the country, what the candidates are saying, and what, you know, even President Trump is doing to try to court black voters here in Michigan specifically. And I'm joined now by two people who've been thinking a lot about this issue. Greg Bowens is a political and communications consultant. Welcome to Detroit Today, Greg. And Wayne Bradley is a Republican consultant and former director of minority engagement for the Michigan Republican Party here in Michigan. Wayne, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. So, um, Wayne, you've been quoted in some local media reports about President Trump's uh, forthcoming uh, Black Voices for Trump Community Center opening here in Detroit. And you said you think it's a good effort on uh, the part of his administration uh, talk about that outreach uh, here from the president and what it means for Detroit, a place mm-hmm. where I think uh, to say he has an uphill battle is probably an understatement.
3: Well, I think the the, the point of the point of him opening that office is to uh, demonstrate the successes and what he's done for the black community. And I think that uh, the media narrative is what is is unfair. And so he's coming here, bringing his own message with obviously. Uh, people that support him and trying to, you know, rally up more support. And I think that the more that people hear about the accomplishments and what's been done in this administration, uh, the better chance he has with black voters.
0: And, you know, I'm curious what you think. I mean, when you say his accomplishments, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk a little bit more about that.
3: Well, uh, the record low black unemployment, I think, is one of his main accomplishments and something he's been very proud of, uh, the way he's helped the funding for HBCUs, uh, also with criminal justice reform and the Second Chance Act, uh, which is bringing, bringing fathers and bringing parents back home to their families. I think those are things that he has, he should be very proud about. Uh, And also just in terms of putting America first, you know, uh, even with border security, the promises he's made, he's kept them. And I think that uh, regardless if everyone doesn't like the way he operates, they can appreciate someone that handles his business and, and is delivering for the people.
0: Greg, uh, I want to hear first your reaction to uh, the, that idea that uh, President Trump is opening up community centers uh, for for especially uh, he calls it the Black Voices for Trump community centers, and one is apparently coming to Detroit. What was your reaction when you heard that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was my reaction, <laughs> like oh, rolling uh-oh. on the ground. Uh-oh. I mean, from the perspective, look, I'm,
2: you know. What's interesting is that we accepted Trump as a racist that we knew, you know, coming out from the Central Park Five and his refusal to say that those young uh, black men did not rape that woman and talking about the blacks and talking about the Mexicans and talking about this, that, and the other. And so he started from an extreme place, but a familiar sort of extreme place with the prejudice. And over time, as he fired Omarosa and, you know, (laughs) appointed America's top black surgeon as the secretary of HUD of all places, you know, you saw this sort of like drifting, you know what I mean? Where we were used to the, to the harshness and expected the worst. And now we get this sort of more mellow, particularly after the impeachment thing. And so, and so. We find it's it's what's interesting is, is that I've talked to so many black folks. I, I see you know, I'm black. I see them all the time. We talk and middle class black folks and folks are like, you know, we have survived. Slavery. We have survived Jim Crow. We have survived institutional racism and Ronald Reagan and George Bush and Hurricane Katrina. And they don't see Trump as bad as they did before. It's almost like, you know, while people aren't, with the exception of Wayne Bradley, you know, running around saying, you know, I love Trump, uh, 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 you see more of an acceptance. And if we don't get somebody on the Democratic side that is fired up and talking like the gentleman from the Brookings Institution about what it is you need to do and why we need to be pissed off. It's very easy that Trump could coast in his little centers. Well, could so, help. So wait a second. So you See, st- what, you, started you that off.
0: That? Well, well, I, I just want to ask you because you, you started that off <laughs> by laughing, but right. then you said that he's making some inroads in some ways. So is it? I mean, would it? Is it not uh, in his best interest to try to capitalize on that? In that case. Trump's problem is is
2: exacerbated by the problem of the Republican Party all the way around, and that is this is not the first time the Republicans have opened an office in Detroit and other urban areas. Wayne headed up the last one, and you know it made a teeny tiny difference, you know, in terms of getting support. You have to, as a Democrat, I have to, I have to admit that I own that. Uh, At the same time, uh, his his Trump lies so much. That it's hard to believe that he would be sincere and that there would be a place for blacks in a Democratic Party. And so that's what makes it funny. This sort of like dichotomy, the strangeness of it all. We've seen this before and uh, and he won last time without doing it. No, I I, Wayne, I want to get back you to know, You know, I, I, I
3: just have to, you know, the whole thing about this whole thing of Trump being a racist. It was he was never a racist and he, he decided to become the Republican candidate for president. No one that was not part well, of his Well, uh, he wasn't That's not true. That's well, just he, that was not the part of
2: Central Park 5, they were talked about in New York, the way he his uh, father, him and his father discriminated against black his folks His father, in their
3: not him. Let's come on. Let's let's clear that up. Stop throwing uh, him into his father's uh, sins. That's, what, that was not him. He
2: was there. No, that he was, was his father's operation. Waste basket too. Yeah. <laughs> You know, when
3: he was winning awards with Rosa Parks for his work and when Jesse Jackson was thanking him for his working with minority businesses in New York, was he a racist then? No, he wasn't. I mean, this is a narrative, again, that the media drives, and they're comfortable with it now because he does say things from time to time that can give make him an easier target. But I think at the end of the day, black people, if, if, you know, if you just heard he said, he said, getting people mad. Getting, if you take your emotions out of it and look at the numbers and the results, President Trump has been effective. And that's really what it comes down to. Take the emotions out of it. That's what I want you to do, black folks. Uh, Take the emotions out of it and look at the results. You know what they want you emotional. They want you mad so you can go out and vote for the wrong person. Even if it's Bernie.
2: That's all Trump does at his rallies is make people (laughs) emotional. And it's really interesting how, like you know, folks base. on the right will say, "Don't get emotional while they're strangling the life out of you." Mm. You know, "Don't get mad that I'm strangling the life out of you." Now, what are you talking about? Don't we're get not emotional. strangling. Now, Greg, life. I want to I want
0: to get you to respond yeah. to something that Wayne talked about that the president talks about a lot, which is this the 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 thing that he repeats over and over and over is that black unemployment is at its lowest rate is it ever, ever. Uh, Wayne? Historic uh lowest. Now, now talk about that from the, the economic message there, but also, you know, just, just when you hear that, what does that sound like to you? Uh, what
2: it sounds like is a bunch of hyperbole, you, you know, because you could, the joke is, is that black unemployment was at zero during slavery. How about oh, that?
3: Oh, Lord. Right? See, this is the Democrat No, but argument. I'm just saying. The Democrat I, said, I said that's the joke. Had to take it back. Well, there's that, people the that are joke. serious about that's that. That's
2: the joke. But you know what? It's not hard to see when you talk about black unemployment being down because that's been a trend that's been going on for the last 15, 20, 30 years. The thing about that is it's not hard to see it now because you know why? When you go to the gas station— And we see gas stations that are largely owned by, you know, Arabic folks, Chaldean folks, where you didn't see black folks working in there. You see them working in there now. I said this so many times with people working the lawn services and the car washes. I have seen more black folks working in those kinds of jobs than I ever have in my life, jobs that are normally taken by immigrants. And so we don't hear a lot of talk about that but it's true
3: hmm.
2: now you know you want me to give you a high five for you know folks working uh, uh, a start. Uh, minimal wage jobs paid under the table, getting treated, you know, poorly, which is something that we know from the history of this country. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not celebrating that when you talk because we need to be talking about the economic gap, like the, pr- the Chrysler plant gap.
3: coming, this new Chrysler plant coming here. The, you know, the deals that President Trump is cutting has been good for Michigan and the manufacturing business.
2: Well, you know, manufacturing is a net loss in Michigan and we still know that. So. Now, you know, the trade policies have not
0: helped. Let me, let me just reset here. <laughs> You're listening to Detroit yeah. Today. I'm Sorry. Jake Neer, in for, for Stephen Henderson. We're talking about appeals to the black vote voting class, or the black voting block here in Detroit, in Michigan, and across the country. Uh, also, we want to hear from you as well. The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Uh, and I also wanted to, to talk, um, well, I should reintroduce uh, the folks we have here. Greg Bowens is a political, and communications consultant. Wayne Bradley is a Republican consultant and former director of minority engagement for the Michigan Republican Party. So... I want to, we're heading into Super Tuesday tomorrow. Wayne, I know this isn't your uh, party here, uh, the Democrats, but I want to ask both of you what you've been hearing from the candidates on the Democratic side when it comes to issues affecting uh, people of color. Uh, Wayne, I'll start with you to hear what you what you have to say. Uh, is there anyone that is saying anything
3: that is particularly pertinent to you? Uh, I don't know if I would call it pertinent. I think it's interesting that uh, you know you have Multiple candidates in Bloomberg, uh, who I find very interesting as a Democrat candidate, uh, you have Biden. I still think Biden is the Democrats' best chance. So yeah. I'm obviously cheering for, for Bernie Sanders.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: now, when it comes to the issues, though, are they,
0: have you heard anything that uh, interests you from these candidates in terms of policy positions?
3: Uh, not really. I mean, I think that there's a lot of broken promises they're already making, uh, things that they will not be able to deliver on. Bernie Sanders in particular, he makes the most undeliverable par- promises. Uh, I think that. Again, Joe Biden is the most trusted among black voters, and that's, you know, he has the Obama card that rolls with him on that. And so I think that uh, black voters will probably vote accordingly to that to what they trust. And again, they, they rely on the emotional factor as opposed to actual deliverables on that.
2: You know, I'm so tired. That is a racist diatribe, man. I really don't appreciate that. I How wish you can would, I be racist? I, no, how black people can be racist oh, please. you don't think know. that black people can be racist I'm not you need to get that. down with Abraham Kendi man I got a book for you how to be anti-racist all right but uh because you're ascribing equality to a whole group of people whenever mm-hmm. you do that that's what that's exactly what racism is if I say you know it's a
3: voting block that's what I'm looking at just as a uh, voting block not as a group of people but as the Democrat voting block of black voters you want them inspired you want them pissed off is what the words you said earlier and so that's what that's what they rely on Scream racism. We need to stop Trump, even though he's got the lowest black unemployment, you know, he's creating opportunity zones. He's doing all the things that he promised to do more jobs for everybody.
2: You know, that's okay. I, Wayne and I go way back. We have a <laughs> lot of common ground to be honest with you, you know, because we are both men. We're black men. We've grown up here. We under, you know,
3: love his son. And Great so guy. and
2: so and so the, uh, this, the, the fact that Wayne and I can have conversations across the political divide on lots of areas of common ground to me demonstrates pretty clearly that this talk about how we need a candidate that can bring people together is a bunch of baloney. You mm-hmm. know, Donald Trump is not running on we going to bring people together. That is and, true. And he, and, and he won. He's bringing a little, the
3: American with, people together. With a
2: little help from his Russian friends. Uh, uh <laughs> oh, Dividing please. people and and exploiting the divisions between them, and so what we're looking at now, and I've talk, I love, you know talking to voters, uh, was that the click this morning? You know the restaurant mm-hmm. was that sure. the click this morning, mm-hmm. and that's the place to go when you want to hear from voters, black middle class voters, and otherwise. And what's interesting is is that you know folks were saying if Biden can make it here, I'll support him. Mm. And that was like a qual- if he can make it here, you know, and yeah. it sort of it it speaks to his campaign and how it's not very robust,
3: mm-hmm. how
2: he has stumbled, uh, not just on the debates, but in having troops on the ground. And in the meanwhile, Bloomberg, you know, they say if he can make it here, they'll vote for him. But they're they're also supporting Bloomberg. And this guy hasn't been on a ballot <laughs> anywhere. He's Mr. Stop and Frisk. But he has bought black political consultants. He has the hired best. black field organizers, black and white and uh, and I have gotten four four pieces of literature in the mail from Bloomberg. not to mention every time I flip on my Facebook page, there's an ad from YouTube, the guy everywhere. you know doesn't matter. And so mm-hmm. and so going back to black folks feeling like we are survivors, right? Uh, uh, the same thing that drove Mike Duggan to win with the black middle class, was this thought and you know mr detroiter here probably voted for him too <laughs> talking about the great our great mayor here. yes in the city our great mayor yes, yes. but he'll be on I, the show tomorrow do, by the way and i do like great him man. and he's done a lot great man. uh but you know he was running up against the backdrop of losing a black seat losing black political mm. power after having a string of black mayors and the black middle class voted mm-hmm. saying sometimes you need the man to take on the man mm. Sometimes you need the man to take on the man mm-hmm. and that kind of that that is echoing with the Bloomberg thing. Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Right. Uh, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to get a call on the air here. Mike in Detroit. You're on Detroit today.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Hang on one second. Let me just fix my phone
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> we should have some uh, some some hold music here. Some do uh, do. <laughs> okay. Mike, I'll are talk- you there? All right. Well, we're waiting for Mike. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, Greg, I wanted yeah. to get your quick reaction quickly on uh, Pete Buttigieg dropping out of the race and uh, and sort of the, this moment where we're seeing someone like Pete Buttigieg leave and Joe Biden starting to surge Two people where this race narrative has really sort of uh, played a lot into their campaigns.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. The Pete Buttigieg's thing is really interesting because it's like the mayor of Muskegon suddenly getting elevated <laughs> as a presidential candidate. Nothing wrong with the mayor of Muskegon. My family is from there, you know, uh, from a long time ago. And so uh, but 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 his problem his the resonance that he had in the black community wasn't there in mm-hmm. large part because he wasn't addressing black folks directly. And this other thing is that people don't really talk about you know, his speech last night I thought was amazing. Hmm. Best thing I ever heard him do. I wonder where he was on the debate stage with that. I've heard that, yeah. You know, uh, uh, reminded me of John McCain's, you know, speech when he lost. but <laughs> Best speech he ever gave. But before he came on, we saw something we had never seen in American politics before. What's up? His husband walked up. Hmm. His husband walked up and talked about what it meant for them as a family to run. Now that, you know, we have gay marriage and black folks, we generally open the doors and are accepting of, you know, the gay community. And I support my gay brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. but I had never seen that before. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that there were enough folks who were uncomfortable with his sexuality because in part, he didn't address it directly and head on and, and he didn't try and make you don't, well, did, you don't. You don't. think he did? I think no, he did he said, more than enough. No, he I think said. That's he why said he he's, was
3: going to struggle as a presidential <laughs> candidate. Well,
2: I'm, I'm. saying. I'm saying it didn't resonate. I didn't see it resonate in the black community in the way that it could have. The way that we generally open our arms up for folks.
3: To be fair, he did. He definitely I did address did. it. And I think in he in did. South, the South Carolina. The black pastors made it clear they got his message loud well, and clear. Uh, but but yeah, you
0: know so well. so you think that he should have made it uh, more front and center in his campaign in that case? I think. I think that that. I think that that would have helped him more hmm. if he would have,
2: because people, especially black folks, can understand what it's like to be discriminated against. We understand what it's like to be pushed out and pushed around and stereotyped. And, uh, you know, I don't think that he did enough of that to get hmm. some traction. And so, you know, but everybody likes him. Uh, that's, that's, that's an interesting part. With other people that I hear folks talking about are, okay, Bloomberg, Biden... Warren and to some extent Bernie. Don't forget
3: about Bernie. Don't people do
2: people. No, I'm just saying people people do like Bernie. They do like a disruptor. But you know what the disrupting thing that's going to happen that I can see happening in the in the as we go forward here I after sm- Super Tuesday. I smell a
3: like contested convention.
2: <laughs> oh, I I don't worry uh, about that. We're Democrats. Looking, we're we're looking always more fighting. And more likely, yeah. We're always fighting. But this whole free Kwame thing. Oh yeah! Oh, I was going to talk this to you. This whole though. free climbing oh, thing is, yeah. you know, is percolating out there, and <laughs> it's coming home. What's wait. interesting about this is, is that is that when you have Democratic state senators like Sherry Day, Gay Dunyoga, mm-hmm. and, a leader, and a leader, black leaders, and uh, and and other folks that are nationalists in the White House talking to Trump. Wait a about minute. free what do you Kwame.
3: Okay, Doing unfortunately the right we're Unfortunately, second chance. We will Nothing have says to, more no, about a second we, chance. But it's, than but giving it's Kwame Kilpatrick that. No, okay. it's not. We're, we're, it's, a it's a belief in to, second chances and what makes them It's going to be a trade
0: right, guys. So you free Kwame unfortunately, for we folks. don't have time to get. We don't have That's time to get into about. this conversation. This is all national outreach
3: director. Yeah, this is a
0: whole conversation that we we could get into, and we'll have to do this soon. But Greg Bowens, political and communications consultant, Wayne Bradley, Republican consultant. Thank you, guys. So much for joining me here today on Detroit Today. Thank you. All right, coming up, we will talk about the ways fears over the spread of the COVID 19 coronavirus are affecting the local economy here in Southeast Michigan.